In this episode, we're answering some of our listener questions. We'll be covering a few questions about the effect that Brisbane Olympics could have on property prices, factors to consider when deciding whether to extend your family home or invest, what due diligence buyers need to do and why this is particularly important in Queensland, and what's the deal with vendor disclosure or lack thereof in this country. And at the very end, we're going to give you a little snippet of what we're seeing in the market at the beginning of 2023. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. Okay, first question from Ruth. Uh, An idea for a future episode or Q&A around what we've learned about how an Olympic Games impacts property pricing. I'm in Brisbane and considering my first investment property, have researched the planned venues for 2023, sorry, 2032. Oh, it's just a bit of dyslexia there. Uh, but I'm unsure whether proximity to these is good, bad, or indifferent. Not a lot of info available yet. Due to it being 10 years away and therefore a decent hold time, I thought this could be timely for a broad audience. Also, any other research tips, alternative use for dwellings post-event, anything else to consider? All right. Do you want to kick it off, Chris? It's an interesting one, right? The Olympics will just sort of come and go, right? It's a lot of hype. And then what's the... <laughs> But not a sizzle, no sausage. Once you you said it before on the podcast, you know it's All a lot sizzle. of talking it up, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think we'll get a decade of that, and it does make Brisbane, you know, it's it's on the global map, right? It's had an Olympics, like that's pretty big claim to fame, you know, mm. around the world. You look at all the cities that are on that. So, I, I think it is big news. It's not like a Commonwealth Games; it's the Olympics, and I I do think that they're going to want to do it well, right? Everyone loved that, you know, Sydney was the best Olympics of all time, and. People would say a lot of Olympics since then. Everyone says every Olympics is the best one, but like the new iPhones. But I think that, um, you know, it is a big news and it will create a lot of hype. But like whether the the Olympics per se is creating that or just the the positivity or the belief that prices are going to go up, that confidence, that sentiment will be what drives the market up. So you could argue it's the Olympics, but I would probably argue it's the sentiment attached to the Olympics. The Olympics is just going to come and go. The only thing, yeah, it was interesting. I saw a developer. I was actually... um. I can't tell who it was. Just recently, I was chatting, and um, oh, they were com- basically saying, "Look, there's no workers they can get. the The reason is there's so much money getting funneled into the Brisbane um, infrastructure for the Olympics. A lot of the other developers were struggling to, you know, compete for resources, which is already a lack of star, uh, you know, labour basically. Mm. Um, so it's interesting. I think it's a big news. I, I think you know, kind of, can you? How do you play it? Look, to be honest, I think you just play the Brisbane housing market and you play the Brisbane like you normally would. Um, not so much saying, oh, I want to be near that venue because like that, being near that venue, unless there's major infrastructure changes that's going to be long standing that make that place a great place to live, you know, in 20 years time, like a new train station or something like that, or something major that, you know, even when the Olympics got like a new stadium could do it, but it's only if that new stadium is going to be used on a weekly basis and you know, there's a, so I, I'm not so sure about the Olympics is, you know, the thing to be thinking about in detail and going, where's that event and where should I buy? But yeah, I do think it's a positive for the Brisbane market. Um, and Brisbane as a city, I just don't know if it's going to see a huge boom because the property is always linked to what people can afford and their borrowing capacities and credit. And so these factors are going to have way bigger prices, uh, impacts on prices rather than the Olympics with maybe just a bit extra positive sentiment. I think that's uh, it's very true, and and it's interesting. I checked in with Kent too to see if he had any insights, and I'll, I'll share yeah. those in a moment. Um, but I want to just, I guess, share some of my own memories as a sales agent back in Sydney in two thousand. So I started in property sales in uh, March twenty two thousand, um, and of course we had Olympics in September two thousand, and there was heaps of hype around Sydney around you know, property prices and it was going to be a boom and there was going to be a crash and all this sort of palaver that was going on and all these, all these opinion, which always makes me laugh. And so what really happened 
yes, we had the Olympics for two weeks. And in that two-week period, nothing happened. It was wonderful time to be working, I have to say. We we spent most of it watching um, events and, and Sydney was like in party mode and really put on amazing weather and the whole palaver. It was a wonderful time. And I was a bit of an Olympic cynic too. In terms of what did it do to property prices? Well, where I was located um, in Balmain, uh, already a desirable suburb, I wouldn't say that the Olympics had any real impact in mm. that area. Where the Olympics had an impact was um, a whole new suburb was built because, and this is something that Ken said to me, think about where was the Sydney Olympics held? They were at the event, majority of the events were held out at Homebush, right? And where are they going to be held? Majority events are in Brisbane, apparently around the Gabba. So the Gabba already exists and it's already pretty much in the centre of the epicentre of Brisbane, as opposed to uh, Homebush, which is not exactly in the epicentre of Sydney. It's um, not that far away, but yeah. it's certainly on the outer um, the outer reaches of the inner suburb, shall we say. So Newington was an entire suburb that was created to be the home for the Athletes' Village for the 2000 um, Sydney Olympic Games. And the land was close to the home bush based boarding area. So along the lines of what, what uh, Chris was saying about what sort of infrastructure is going to be built and how long-term, uh, you know, how is that going to create lifestyle long-term? So the village was actually made up of 900 townhouses and 700 apartments as well as mobile homes and it was over a 90 hectare area so as a bit of an aside it was actually the largest solar powered suburb to be built in the world so it was a bit nice and it used recycled water technology and both sustainable power sources are still used today which is great um they also had a paralympic games followed obviously from the regular olympics and after that the area was converted into a suburb now, I did look at a growth um, chart for prices and you can see this huge, you know, influx of new properties that were sold to investors, you know, just prior to the Olympics. Uh. And it did take a little while things to take off, but over time, yes, things have taken off. But now we are 23 years later talking about that. So having said all that, though, often when you do look at properties in Hobush and Newington, there's a lot on the market at the same time uh. and they're a lot very, very similar. So you know, it comes back to the scarcity thing as well, right? So, but that was Sydney. In Brisbane, you know, where it is centred, you know, the existing lifestyle location as opposed to creating it from scratch. So there are some quite significant differences uh, in terms of what's happening in Brisbane versus what's happening in Sydney. So I think what Sydney, what uh, Chris says there is that you've got to use investment fundamentals and buy a property that is actually good long-term. Forget the Olympics, because yep. I doesn't sound like it's going to change the shape of Brisbane too much anyway. So if a property is in a good area now, then it will continue to do well. I don't think it's going to make huge uh, difference. Yep. You know, I, I wouldn't be going and rushing off to buying new locations in Brisbane on the strength of an Olympics. But yep. also there is still a big price gap between Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, right? So the perception of affordability for investors, uh, I guess, will continue. And there is also a world of difference. 10Ks out of the CBD in Brisbane is very different to 10Ks out of the CBD in Sydney. Yeah. You know, so with with vastly different population, I think, what, Sydney's a 5 million population and Brisbane's 2 million, I think, for the last count. Yeah. Um, and so that proximity to the CBD or the centre is uh, more important with a smaller population, obviously, than it is with a large population. So I'd say that there's some of the things that we consider. You've really got to choose investment fundamentals Stand alone and not be swayed by the Olympics because the Olympics per se is something that happens for two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're betting on Brisbane and yeah, the, the Olympics is maybe a, another reason, but it wouldn't be number one, right? What you're betting on is internal migration of high income families who are pushed out of Sydney, Melbourne that are going up there with high incomes and, and employment jo uh, growth in Brisbane and uh, the city just growing as a city and becoming, you know, three, four million people over time and believing that that's where, you know, jobs are going to get created on the Eastern seaboard and, you know, uh, and so you've got to have a Brisbane story long-term and then maybe part of that is, hey, the Olympics is going to be there in 10 years. Um, so yeah, it's hopefully that answers your question um, rather than say, trying to bet on this event. It's similar like an airport. People say, um, now who are the people making money in the Western Sydney airport? It's the farmers selling it to the developers. Um, <laughs> It's not the people buying the houses off the developers, if that's another way to think about it. It's that the money was made in the land, and even the people who bought the land recently aren't making anywhere near as much as the people who bought the land 
40 years ago when, you know, there was no airport even talked about. Um, so hopefully that's up. Next question. Hey guys, I found your podcast about three months ago and am in a full-blown love affair with it. I think it's amazing. Very interesting and always informative. So thank you. My question is directed towards Veronica about buyer's due diligence. I hear Veronica talk about this quite a lot. Obviously, that's her business. And I'm just wondering if it's possible without giving away any trade secrets what this due diligence actually is. I'm in Queensland and as you know, up here we get given no information from the vendor or the real estate agent. So I'm wondering what questions should I be asking except for the usual building and pest? Uh, What should I be looking for? Okay. Thanks guys. All right. So our next question is from Lee and top marks to Lee because you can now actually leave a voicemail for us via the website. And and so record your question for us rather than writing it down. And Lee is actually the first person who's done it. So we're rewarding Lee with being the first person to have her voicemail question on the podcast. So thank you so much, Lee. Lee, thanks so much. I mean, Awesome audio, by the way. Um, and thanks. And if, if anyone else wants to use that, uh, we would love it because it's so good. It's uh, so good with podcasts. We don't have to uh, say the question. It's so much more real. So uh, I feel like we're in, in your story just talking to you on that uh, little message. I mean, due diligence is a big one. I'll probably pass this one to Veronica to go through like on a buying side and, and in particular. I think I'll help you sort of maybe where some gaps that maybe Veronica hasn't thought of some things that I talk my clients through as well. So vendor disclosure varies from state to state and Queensland, uh, as you've alluded to, is the worst. And that's something that I actually discovered when I was uh, putting together your first home buyer guide with Megan Wells, where we put t- putting yeah. together the whole program for first home buyers to teach them how to go through the whole buying process step by step. And that due diligence process is so important and, and is so underrated and misunderstood by most buyers and even by a lot of buyers agents, and which is horrific. So a lot of people just think that all they need to do is uh, get a building pest if they're buying a house or get a strata report if they're buying a you know a strata property, a unit, townhouse, villa, um, get the contract reviewed or or get a solicitor or conveyance to, to talk to them um, and get their pre-approval. That's what a lot yeah. of people think is the extent of the due diligence they need to do on a property. And you know what, as a sales agent, as I have been in New South Wales, uh, we have a contract to sale in Queensland. There's not even a contract. Like the contract is actually created by the REIQ and it's not, um, it does not have in it all these things that you might as a buyer expect to have in there. And so when I say, let's call it, it's vendor disclosures, right? And what that means is that vendor is under obligation in every jurisdiction in this country. So there's eight jurisdictions with states and territories, and every jurisdiction has different laws around what the vendor must disclose to a buyer. And every single one operates under this caveat emptor, or the that's the Latin for buyer beware. So the assumption is, and the expectation is that the buyer will take responsibility for doing their own due diligence. And this is what a lot of people just do not understand. The agent is not obliged to tell you anything that is not legislated, right? There are certain things like material fact and all the rest of it, yeah. But fundamentally, if there's going to be a main road put in front of that house, if that house is going to be knocked down to put on a main road, maybe you might be expected to be told that. But if next door has been approved to be demolished and a petrol station built there or a nine-story block of apartments... There is no obligation for them to tell you that. And once again, it's different in every jurisdiction. In New South Wales, the vendor at least has to give you a document from the council, which has got zoning information and also information as to whether it's in a heritage um, area and also whether it's uh, in a bushfire zone, et cetera, et cetera, a flood zone, those sorts of things. In Queensland, there is no obligation for the owner to pass that information on, nor for the agent to. In Queensland, there's not even a title search. And what that means in in Victoria and New South Wales, for instance, these are what's called prescribed documents where the vendor needs to present this to a buyer and make this available to a buyer. And in the title search, you can actually see who owns the property, whether there's a mortgage on it, whether there's easements, whether there's covenants, all sorts of things that are quite important. You You can find that stuff out, right? In Queensland, nothing. 
the deposited plan, that is where you see basically um, a little plan, which is not as good as a survey, and that's not essential document anywhere. So that's something, you mm. you know, ideally you get, but they often you can't get one in the time, yeah. yet, you know, in a timely manner. Yeah. But the deposited plan, they are available. You can get a deposited plan in Queensland. The terminology does often differ slightly from state to state. You can get it, but it's not an expectation. The vendor does not have to provide it. The the agent will not provide a deposited plan. So therefore, you know, that's actually where you say, well, am I actually buying what I think I'm buying? It sort of will show the outline of the land and where the house or whatever sits on it. Um, What about the sewer diagram? Like if you want to buy a house and put a pool in, right, in Victoria and New South Wales, and look, other states as I said, there's there's differences in disclosures. It's just that Sydney, sorry, New South Wales and Victoria has the most amount of disclosure and every other state is a little bit less with Queensland at the bottom of the pile. So I'm talking about the two extremes here. Um, but a sewer diagram. So if there's a sewer pipe underneath, the, the board sewer is running underneath your backyard and you want to put a pool in, well, you need to know where it is to know whether that's possible or not. You also uh, need to know whether any extensions have been built over yeah. the pool, over the, the sewer line and whether they were approved. There's so many things that if you are just getting a building pest inspection and getting conveyances to advise on something that can be missed even in New South Wales and Victoria, where there's a high degree of disclosure, this stuff can be missed. In Queensland, where I think from memory, the only thing they have to disclose is something to do with whether there's a, any fights, disputes with the neighbours and whether they've got smoke alarms, I think, and maybe whether the pool complies or doesn't comply. I think they're three things from the top of my head. I mean, honestly, there are so many other reasons why you might not want to buy a property, particularly flooding in Brisbane like that. Yeah. You know, forget anything else for a minute. Um, and as Megan, uh, who is a, buy- a buyer's agent based in, in uh, Brisbane, Megan Wells, and my, my co, um, co-founder of Home Buyer Academy, you know, she talks about overland flow as well as actual river flooding, right, and floodplain. So this is just scratching. I've just scratched the surface with some of the things that you need to look into. I haven't even gone into, like, the, the looking at the local council to see, I did talk about whether a petrol station or a nine-story block of units about to be delivered, um, developed next door, but there's a lot of information you can even look up as to whether the improvements on the property you're looking at buying have been approved um, and whether or not there's encroachments and whether or not there's a possibility that council might require you to make good or, or rectify or demolish something. I mean, these are all, you know, not common occurrences, but they're common enough and they are discoverable. A lot of this stuff is very, very discoverable. It's just that people don't know that they should know it. They don't know it's discoverable. They don't know where to look for it. And so if you want to know about this, right, oh, I've got a couple of little um, podcast episodes for you, which is your first home buy guide. Episode 30, we'll put the show note uh, link in the show notes. We, we cover the first half of the diligence, due diligence process in that episode. And episode 59, we talk about strata due diligence. I haven't even barely touched on that one. There's a lot involved and that's why we we put it in the course, you know, because really you do need to take this seriously. It's your responsibility, not the vendors, and buyers need to know what they need to know before making a good decision. Yeah, I think there's so much there and I think that's a good, good advice to listen to those other episodes. I think when I think about it is, yep, surely there's due diligence on the property and you know, building and pests, you know, you so many disclaimers in those building and pests. It's usually the conversation you have after it. And at least be no aware of some of the things they didn't check. You know, sometimes I didn't go under the floor, in the roof mm. or on the roof or, you know, et cetera. I think what you, it's hard buying property because it's so hard to find quality assets, right? Firstly, so you say no to things and you have to have a bit of a broader brief and not everyone's buying in the place they've lived for 30 years, right? A lot of people have moved there in the last few years and they don't know the areas that well. Then buying in an area they haven't lived before. And the problem is that, if there's so many things you don't know about the area. Um, and so the first due diligence is you've got to right. really be on the ground, getting to right. know the area, getting to know the rat runs, getting to know the streets people don't want to live in, where they're turning over. Like this is market knowledge, I guess. And I, I'd say you need to know that before you get to the property because once you, if you try to find, oh, I'll go look at that property in an area I don't really know that well, you won't have any time to get that market knowledge um, in the space of when you need to make an offer. So. The best due diligence is reference points, going to as many open homes as well around value and, and going to auctions, um, getting pr- like that understanding of value, um, the streets that people do and don't want to live in, the rat runs, the 
um, the parts of the suburb that aren't as desirable, et cetera, because you need to be able to factor all that into your decision, whether you want to go ahead with the property quite fast. Um, so I'd say there's a lot of, and then, I mean, overall, I think you need to get on the satellite. You need to be walking around the neighborhood. You need to be saying to yourself, why wouldn't someone like this property? Like, and then I think the other thing is when I say to clients is it doesn't really matter what you like, you know, what you really want to do is think about how many other people would like this. What other buyer pools would like this, you know, like do singles want it? Do couples want it? Do couples with um, younger couples or older couples? Do divorcees, you know, do one child, do two child families, do three child families, you know, um, downsizers, you know, et cetera. Because you can very easily buy a property that is suited to one buyer pool. And, and then all of a sudden you go, I love it. It's amazing. But then when you go and sell it, you just limit it to that buyer pool really wanting it. And so I think there's lots of things at a mindset level and a, that rather than a property per se that you need to get right, I think, with due diligence. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. I was watching it on TikTok, but it was like a, a video. Um, I don't know how I saw it, but a guy that was whinging about the rats in Coogee basically saying, you know, I paid $3 million for this house and no one told me about the rat problem. Um, and so I think there is things in a suburb that the locals do know. And I'd be, <laughs> I'd be trying to get access to that knowledge, right? Going to the cafes, talking to people, you know, asking questions, you know, hanging out the front of the property, trying to catch the neighbor's ear. Um, even a client asked me that yesterday, should we speak to the neighbors? I said, well, if you can come up with a good question for them to open the conversation, so they feel like you're just not being a noisy person, but you maybe have something that could be a joint issue, um, like who manages that? Um, and then you start prodding it for something else. I think it's totally fine. Um, not rather than knocking on the door and saying, should I buy the property? Tell you wrong with it. Um, so <laughs> I think, yeah, due diligence is something that, you know, you shouldn't take. And I think you're already thinking about things the right way, right? Not many people are even thinking like you are. So you're probably already doing vast more than most people. Um, but yeah, the, the list is, yeah, what I find is though, is some people can go overdo it. I had a client this week that I was so conservative, um, just by nature and, you know, everything just felt really risky. And, you know, even though we go, it's got pre-approved, it's got the cash, it's got this, it, the bank value, oh, it's, is it going to come in low? And I would, you know, and I think what happens is, is you can over freak yourself out with things that may or may not happen. And so it's like things that are real risks or things that are, if it does happen, it's still going to be okay. I'm just going to have to deal with it down the and things that I can and cannot change. So you've got to weigh all risks up in different ways. Yeah, I often uh, think that some people, over, when they overthink it, they do focus on all the wrong things. And yep. this is why a framework is so important and a framework that's put together by experts as opposed to a framework that's put together by your own overactive imagination. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, our next question is from Kyle. We were fortunate enough to buy a worker's cottage, three-bedroom in a Brisbane suburb, 10Ks from the CBD on a large 900-square-metre block. <laughs> yes, that is big. Back in 2016 and seen exponential growth in that time. Yep. We're doing some good renovations and currently they have a one-year-old child, right? So they have a vision to either do an extension to add more living space and potentially two more rooms or bathrooms, but we're also aware of the potential benefits of getting into an investment property, especially with the expected boom of the Olympics coming in the next 10 years. Yeah. What would you consider to be the best move going forward, short term or long term? So It's an interesting one, yes. So we, we do get this. Is. So it's it's a it, it's a really all come down to borrowing capacity. Um, yep. And, you know, if someone to get into where the, the locations, which is what this person's done, like we had lots of clients buying that 20 14 to 2018 period in Brisbane um, and cottages, good blocks in around the city, you know, like 700 to about a mil they were buying them. Um, and, you know, they're all gone up 80, 90%. They've come back a bit, you know, like everything has, but it sounds like that's what they've done. I imagine they grow something similar, right? So they would have maybe bought it for 800 or 900, Kyle, hopefully, um, maybe somewhere around that maybe. And then it's probably worth one five or something now, probably. Um, the problem so with that too is you just think you're a hero. You think you're you're actually a, a gun investor because you've done so well. <laughs> but it's just like there's enormous luck that is involved when when buying property because the market will do what the market does, you know. And for Abbots to move in that direction, and certainly that level of increase in, in pricing in Brisbane is pretty unprecedented in that in that city as well. Yep. So that is a danger when you when you have had a bit of a windfall like that, isn't That's it? Because you sort of think, oh my God, I'm just like, I might as touch everything I touch turns to gold and I can do no wrong. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a bit of, bit of, maybe it was foresight by Kyle or maybe Kyle said, I really like this. I really like this suburb. We can afford mm. it. We want a house. We're going to have a kid in the future. Um, so we want to live long term. Plus, so that's maybe, and then there's 
but maybe he was, there was also an investment element to it. But obviously, there was a bit of luck there involved in terms of the real drop in, co- in um, relocation, the mm. drop in interest rates, and the real that lit the fuse behind the Brisbane market. And it was a bigger boom up there, I think, than Sydney, Melbourne. If you look at in the premium suburbs, they grew f- further yeah. than the places in Sydney. Um, and so, but in this situation, like there's probably not an equity problem because there's been such great growth, right? So I imagine there's yep. probably equity for a reno and there's probably equity for a deposit for an investment property. The challenge will be borrowing capacity. So it depends on, if you stretch back in 2016, Kyle, like um, you've had a, you got a um, child, you might be having another one. Maybe your partner's, at work or, or on maternity leave or some type of part-time or something, um, borrowing capacity is so tight. Like it, It's even tighter this week. Hem rates went up. That's the, the measure, the minimum living expenses that all the banks went up. So that made it even tighter so, without even interest rates going up, right? Because they went up because I of the inflation. I hadn't thought of that. So, yeah, yeah, of course. So <laughs> it's, it's just, it's so tight. Like even getting, like getting five and a half times is, is tough. Like five is probably a number and you know, so when you times your incomes by five, it was seven. Like we used to say six, mm. but we knew that if we knew how to work it, we could probably get closer to seven if, um, and sometimes higher depending on situations. And so, but it's like five times now. So I reckon unless your incomes have gone up dramatically, Kyle, um, I, I reckon you're going to have a, a, an income problem to be able to borrow enough money to go and buy a quality asset. Now, if you don't, mm. you've then got a decision of saying, do we va- um, prioritize lifestyle? over growing out our wealth long-term through another investment property. The, my catch here would be you've got to get a quality asset. Don't go buy an apartment or a townhouse or something like that. You know, you need to kind of almost replicate what you've just bought and buy really well and hold on to it. And, and then, and, but the, the charge is you've got livability issues. You I mean, you may, the place you said um, may or may not be, you know, livable now. I guess you've got three beds, you said, so you might be all right with it. The one charge might have another one. Maybe it's going to get a bit cozy, but... You know, you might yeah. take that lifestyle impact for the the investment potential. Um, I think also at the moment it's hard. We've got a, quite a few clients in Brisbane looking to do renos. Um, like some couldn't even get builders. Like they were literally, mm. everyone wanted cost plus and they were putting big numbers down. Um, and they literally, even if they wanted to pay, they couldn't find someone willing to take on the work um, the last few years. So I think building costs are just so enormous right now and they haven't come back down. Um, from what I know up there. So you might decide to delay your reno because of that as well. I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions. And you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or lower north shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. If you're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? The elephant in the room.com.au. Yeah. Because then, then you feel like you've got money burning a hole in your pocket and you want to do something with it. So that that's a hard um, thing to resist or a hard temptation to resist. I know a lot of people then run off and buy. If they can't afford a great one, they buy anything or something that's not great. Then when they do go to renovate, because, you know, the pressures on building supply, you know, that'll ease too. I mean, obviously on the other side of the Olympics, there's going to be more trades around and costs won't be rising forever at the rate that they've been rising, you know, so there's swings and roundabouts with that too. And then you think, great, well, now's the time I can actually do the extensions to the property. And then if you bought a a substandard investment property, you might be hamstrung by that. Um, So you've got to be sort of always thinking about, well, what do I really want to do? Like, you know, it's it's (laughs) because, and if, if neither are a good option now, that discipline to just not do anything and know that that's okay as well, I think that's the other thing too, that a lot of yeah. people feel like inactivity is is a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, you know, you'd be patient and persistent to potentially maybe go and get a, a really good long-term asset that could sit there and sit there for the next 20 or 30 years. Uh, I assume if you're doing a reno, you want to stay in this home. So that, that allows that other investment as well, because you're not going to then have to in two years time plan for an upgrade, um, mm. you know? I think, you know, we've got clients that um, in this situation, yeah, maybe they've got another investment property in the house is in Liverpool, but that's, they really need to do a rental. Well, they just go and rent something else. Um, we've got a client yeah. done that in the East. So I chatted to them last week, you know, house around Ramwick, um, needs a reno, 
They've just had a twins actually after the first one. So they've got three kids. House is too small. They're going to rent it something um, while they potentially do a rental or do an upgrade. So don't be afraid to rent. Um, you know, if you really want to move out of your property, you've got something mm. called the six year rule as well, which is um, allows your home to grow tax free for up to six years. So suss that out on the ATO. Um, and uh, yeah, so anyway, I think there's just ways to think about it. this is what we do every day, you know, talk people yeah. through. The, the borrowing capacity is a big part of this decision. And the dream scenario would be is through savings, through potential future income, through bonuses, and through equity, you know, and potentially relaxment to borrowing capacity. So, you know, we could see APRA change. Maybe you've got yeah. enough money there to do your reno and your borrowing capacity, you know, that you're using for this investment property still allows you to do both, but maybe you can't do both right now. Maybe you have to delay the reno three or four years. Um, and then you can still buy a quality investment property. Um, and then you're still in the market, right? So you haven't done the reno first. You've got no growth. And then you've got to buy the expensive more. So, yeah, you just got to get a little bit creative with it. Um, but, yeah, it's, it is a, it, we love talking this through because it, there's so many layers to it and it's individual. And a couple of things I just finish up on on this one is that, you know, the, the whole idea that if you bought an investment property, would it stop you doing things that you need to do for your family at some point. So that's a, that's a consideration. But also if there were no upcoming Olympics, would you be thinking of buying an investment property or are you thinking, oh, because the Olympics business is going to boom, so therefore I should be buying one? And also is Brisbane the sensible place for an investment since you already own a house there? So so these are sort of other considerations, as Chris just said, it's a unique solution to everybody's problem. But these are certainly a few questions that you need to think about because it is a long-term uh, play property, but often we make short-term decisions that do have a long-term knock-on effect yeah. and it's only after the event that we do uh, recognize that. So our fourth question is from Jane. Uh, it was quite a long one so I've edited it slightly. Uh, she says that she loves our enthusiasm, learning a lot but still a beginner even though she's made 17 property transactions in her life, 14 in California and three in Australia and she did draw some comparisons to the US versus Australian experience. Um, in the US, the process is full disclosure versus buy beware. Uh, we talked earlier about vendor disclosure, and so that's what uh, Jane says. Now, I'm not 100% certain about that, but Jane says that that is the case. Uh, she said, as a vendor in America, we had 100 plus pages in the selling agreement where every little thing to do with the property had to be disclosed up front. And as a buyer, she never did a skerrick of her own research on any property. It was all there in black and white, and what came out of the agent's mouth was the truth by law. Now, in contrast, in Australia, I'm having to do a ton of research just to pass the bar from being total ignoramus to having a half-baked understanding of how to buy and sell here. Suburb areas, agents, agencies, conveyance versus lawyer, price mysteries, agent auction gains, marketing ripoffs, exclusive versus sold, etc., etc. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so this sort of leads on from that first question, right? So, oh, the second question. So her question is, do we think that there will ever be more disclosure laws introduced or is everyone just happy to chug along with this medieval caveat emptor nonsense? She's been living in a house on the central coast for 10 years, wants to move um, closer in, in back into Sydney, closer to family. She's been thinking about it for eight years, but she said what stops her is a whole ghastly real estate experience. And now she has to make a dreaded call to the agent and start the process. So she's been avoiding it because she knows mm -hmm. that... She is not given as much information here as she is used to getting uh, and used to providing as a vendor, as a buyer in the US. Her question is, do we think it'll change? I think my short answer to that is no. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? No one has any interest to regulate the property market. It's such a uh, big beast. Um, you look at, uh, and incentives aren't aligned to that. Um, bank profits, government taxes, developers, money, uh, profit. Uh, it, it goes on and on and on and on. Um, so there's no interest really to regulate the property market to um, make it harder to do transactions. And um, if anything, it's deregulation. You know, you talk about what we talked about with, with Queensland. I, I think there might be small things that really are, you know, maybe it's around um, big issues that pop up. We've got a lot of noise around rental crisis right now, which is which is right. And so, then, you know, and there's better things for tenants, et cetera. So there might be regulation where there's some real issues, but I don't you know, making it hard to do transactions and slowing down that process. I think that's wishful thinking. I think what Veronica was alluding to there is um, it sounds like the perfectionism uh, mindset of trying to really not lose out and get the right result is stopping you from taking action in this situation. And you've almost got to surrender to it because 
Mm. The system isn't going to change. And this is what I would say to a lot of people is that you could be upset with the system and not agree with housing unaffordably and how the system works and um, et cetera, et cetera. But the system's not going to change in any time frame that you knew when you want to take action. So yeah. if anything, you've got to play the game. Um, don't hate the player, you know, whatever that saying is. So um, I, I reckon you've just got to get involved with this, right? And you just need to try to maximize the potential likelihood of those two transactions working out for you. So just think about them as two transactions. You're selling something and you're buying something. What can you do to get a good result on the sale? And what can you do to increase your chances with buying, right? And move down the shot. You can engage a buyer's agent down there. There's not many down in the shot. Um, you know, I've worked with My Property Pro down there. Um, and I think they, they do a good job. Um, but there's not many down there. It hasn't been a typical buyer agent market. Um, uh, and they're always dangerous markets where buyer's agents flock to because it's usually been the investor buyer's agents going to spruik stuff. But, you know, the Shire is a great um, housing market. And so you would do really well, as is the Central Coast. So you're not, I don't think you're selling out of a great market to go to a poor market. So I, I don't think you're making any silly decisions there as long as you just don't stuff it up. So, um, yeah, don't regulation is not going to change. Your, your mind should be just thinking through how do I maximize my sale and then how do I maximize the likelihood of buying and understanding the sequence. Upgrading is, is stressful. Whether you sell first or whether you buy first, under, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it. Both have pros and cons. There's no right or wrong option. And you know what you really need to do is think, what's the best option for me, right? So that comes a lot down to borrowing capacity. Um, it comes a lot down to the ability to negotiate longer settlements. It comes a lot down to the prepared, uh, how good your asset is that you've got now, like how easy is it going to be to sell? How likely is it is going to be is you're going to be able to find a buyer in a short time frame? Um, there's lots to it, but the thing getting scared by the process, um, you might get the end of the process. Say, I wish I didn't, something didn't go. Well. I didn't sell for as much as I want. I overpaid. But if you're now sitting in the shire with your family close by and you're in a good asset, and maybe financially that didn't work out, well, now you're in that asset for long term. So um, those could be short term sunk costs that. Um, or maybe it was stressful, and um, but I think the stress is worth the result, right? You're saying you want to be there, so you're living a life in an area that you don't want to be. So the lot, so you already wasted, I guess, in this in this mindset, is you would say I've already wasted eight years of my life that I could have been down there. So um, that sunk cost is getting bigger to make that change. So yeah, get on the front foot. Um, and another, you know, not this is not a plug for our business, but this is what we do every day. Is we, we would talk you through that process give you real confidence around what you can borrow, you know, and then you would go out and figure out what you can buy. So there's just get someone to guide you through the process. And I think that's, that's what you really need is someone to, to hold your hand and, and make sure you're staying focused on the result rather than the, the game that we all have to play. The painful process. And look, it is a painful process for most people. Most people don't enjoy selling property. They don't enjoy going out and hunting. Some people do, but you know, there's you know, generally speaking, people don't enjoy dealing with agents and trying no. to work out what's true, what's not true, all the rest of it. And it, it's not, you know, it's and it, and I can understand why you would delay it until the pain gets so so strong that and turn and I'm saying pain as in the the fact that you're not living where you want to live. That'll yeah. get to some sort of critical point, and you go, "That's enough. I'm just going to do it." And so a couple of things I've pointed out, episode 259, that was with American realtor David Sedoni and Jane, I know we've been emailing, so I know you've listened to that episode, but if anyone else wants to understand more about the differences between the American system and the Australian system, uh, go back and listen to that. The other thing, one of the key differences, apart from all that disclosure, which to be honest, I wasn't aware that it was quite at that level, is mm. that... In America, the sales agent gets paid a much bigger fee than sales agents do in Australia. So, a typical in a in a in a competitive market, it's not unusual to find sales commissions around one and a half percent. Right? If the market is not competitive, as in as in um, competitive for agents, that is, then you might see up as high as three. But three is very unusual. You know, mm. two would be quite a high commission really these days. But in America, five to six percent is standard, um, and that is split equally between a broker who supposedly represents the um, interests of a buyer and a, a the sales agent. Right. So there's there's advice or guidance, I guess, over and above the the vendor disclosure. There's advice and guidance available at no cost for buyers. Right. Quite high cost for vendors. Now, in Australia, there is vendor advisory that you can get. Um, we did episode 263 about vendor advisory. And so you can get advice, but in Australia, we have a buyer 
pays or a user pay system. So if you use a buyer's agent, which is why only a small percentage of people do actually use a buyer's agent, you know, you're paying for that as the buyer. You're not getting it for free because the vendor's paying for it. So there's quite sort of significant differences between the two markets in that regard as well. And yes, it is an additional cost. And yes, you do need to know how to choose a good one. One is really going to add value to the process as opposed to just be very transactional and just literally help you in the transaction, which is probably what the US brokers are more likely doing, you know, because you've got all this available information for you. Whereas here, what you need to do is find a buyer's agent who will do all that due diligence I was talking about earlier, will be critical thinking about the areas, the type of property, the the streets, uh, all of those sorts of, whether there's rats, <laughs> all of those things, you need that, that local intel from a buyer's agent. So you can get that intel and help you through the process. You just have to buy pay for it, unfortunately, and that's just the way it is. One thing that um, we'll have a quick chat about before we wrap this episode mm. up, it's not a question, but this is the beginning of 2023. We're recording this on the 2nd of Feb. No, we aren't the 3rd of February. Yep. <laughs> um, and we're both very, very surprised at how the market has come back looking very, very strong on off the back of a very, very, you know, sad for many people 2022. You know, obviously, the entire country had a, had a boom in 2021, well publicised, and then we all went into into a bit of a downturn. And coming in after you know Christmas holidays, I've been blown away personally by the visible interest in property out there at open houses. Yeah. Um, and Chris, you've been blown away by. Well, I mean, I, I we saw the sentiment shifts, like. Uh, June, July, August, September, I, you know, it was so crazy, right? That was like rates were going bang, 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 super rapid fire from the RBA. And that was actually quite scary for everyone. Even us, we were like, how, how high are they going to go? And, you mm. know, and, and slowly but surely the, the expectation of the rates and, you know, and I think confidence around people adjusting their borrowing capacities, understanding what this all means, et cetera. By September, October, November, like the, the buyer people was starting to build and, and, you know, we always thought that everyone would delay things till 2023. You know, like, this isn't a great year to buy. I'll wait till next year, right? And that was a common thing that we heard. Um, I feel like everyone who thought they were going to buy in H2 has said, oh, actually, you know what? Let's just get on with it. And we've seen it since, you know, I went back on the 16th. We, we always have a lot of clients coming to us, to be honest, and, and we have a lot of conversations. But there's there's a with, with broking, you have to get your documents together, right? So you have to be proactive enough to put your payslips together and your driver's license and send it to a broker to get an assessment done to lodge your application. So it's a bit of work, not not too much, to be honest, like a good broker's minimize that, but you have to do it. You have to be motivated. And that that has just gone through the roof. You know, the turnaround from when you speak to someone to sending it back, old clients wanting to re, um, you know, engage their pre-approvals, um, you know, existing clients coming back to us to say, maybe they should look at investing or upgrading, et cetera. Um, and so it is absolutely a, a and I'm not saying it's a boom time, but you can easily see the demand for credit has has shifted dramatically. And people's attitudes are, um, you know, I just want to get on with it. I, and, and, we're, and we're speaking to a few clients this week, even a client that missed out last night. Um, you know, there's competition, you know, there's competition that you open homes, people are blown away. Um, properties are still going to auction up, more likely the, the agents are pushing it. So I, I said it late last year, I think the best buying had passed. And I actually thought it passed quite a bit before that. I thought it was more like, you know, just September time when there was still a bit of listings lag, you know, people who had to sell and a few properties on the market um, and there was peak fear. So um, yeah, we're not creating uh, this FOMO in the market because under higher interest rates and rates are still high, they're not going to fall. They're just mm. unlikely to go up a lot more. Under high rates, buyers will still be extremely picky because they know that they still have to pay big mortgage. So what they'll say is that I want to take action. I don't want to just not buy, but I'm only, I'm still going to be picky. It's not till rates are talking about falling and there's really this desperation gets into um, the market. But if rates stay high, that desperation will take a long time to build. So we're not going to all of a sudden see this huge boom. I'm just going to say it's going to get harder and harder now to buy good stuff because all the buyers are going to flock, uh, flock to it. And then you're going to really have a lot more competition. And that's really what you want to buy in any market. So the good stuff is going to have way more competition now than it did three months ago um and but it's not doesn't mean all the poor streets are gonna all of a sudden start really climbing the ranks i don't know about that to be honest because what happens 
when when all the good stuff starts getting really competitive, buyers forget being picky and they FOMO kicks in. And so that sort of, you know, it's like reason has checked out, reason has left the building. And I say that because I have been, you know, selling and buying property as a professional for over 20 years. And so I've been selling and buying in environments with higher interest rates. It's just that we need to get used to these higher interest rates. Mm. Then that's when the pickiness comes out of it because it's like the frog in the pot, right? We're all get, we're all, the water's warmed up. We're all used to it, right? So at the minute, it feels like our repayments are a whole lot higher and they are a lot higher than what they were even 12 months ago, even six months ago. So therefore, you know, it feels like we're paying a lot more money for what we're getting. So the pickiness is now, but once people get used to that, 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 that will dissipate, that will, you know, human behavior will go back to what it always does. One of the things I've really um, been a bit surprised myself is that I have, I've never really experienced FOMO at the bottom of the market before, mm. right? FOMO in a rising market, FOMO at the, you know, at the peak or just before the peak of the market. But, you know, we always talk about the fact we never know the bottom of the market until it's past tense. And often the point with that is that it's quite a gradual um, build. And then it's like, hang on a minute, things are warming up, right? That's a lot more gradual. That happened at the end of, um, or in the middle of 20, sorry, 2019. It yep. wasn't until the end of the year. Yet, actually, when you looked in retrospect at the data, you could see that actually things were building. Yeah. But it took a good six months, really, to actually see it and recognize it. Okay. So, with the, and usually when the peak of the market, it's quite brutal. You know, the, the, the market peaks and then bang, it's like it's over. And so, we often see that real steep, steep, um, you know, yeah. rising of prices then and bang. Whereas this is the, I've never actually seen what might be a V, a V bounce, a little recurve at the bottom, right? Let's wait and see. I guess we're not going to know this until we've got a couple of months of data. We see whether this is permanent or whether this is just a reaction to low stock and, and everyone's had a nice Christmas break. But one of the things that I think buyers do need to be aware of, particularly in auction areas, is that underquoting will become a huge problem. Oh, yeah, massive. And the reason I say that is because agents... They, they need to justify whatever they, they quote with recent sales, right? So if prices have been falling and they've got evidence at lower prices, then they can use that as evidence to keep their quoting low. And also, they'll be gun shy because yeah. the last year has been quite difficult for agents selling property. They had to be very, very careful how they quote a price um, in order to not alienate buyers and not have buyers reject the property because they think it's too high. Right, so therefore they have to quote it low because all you buyers yep. refuse to actually make your own assessments on what the property is worth, and you do react to what agents do. Right, it's the way it works, and so what they'll be doing now is that they're not going to be game enough to quote what they suspect it might go for, and the legislation in most uh, states and territories has a certain requirement in terms of what they need to do to justify the price that they quote, and they will have the evidence to be able to justify a lower price. So be very, very aware that the you know the, we're going to start seeing a bunch of stories um, in the papers about underquoting and all that sort of palaver all yeah. over again because that's that's just a byproduct of what will happen if if what we're seeing in the market now translates into a strong uh, you know continuation of at least the first half of the year. Yeah, I think is it. I think the the data could still be going down. You know, collectively, it Sydney is. prices will <laughs> still be going down, right? And Ooh. a lot of people saying, well, the Sydney. But I don't think that's what you'd be seeing in a lot of quality uh, for quality property in quality suburbs. I would say, you know, and I, I when I, you know, quality is a bit of a subjective word, right? But you know, what from what we're seeing in, in a lot, you know, exactly the sub, a lot in of the demand. suburbs that our clients are buying in, um, you know, we're not seeing that, and I, I think we're already starting to see, you know, people wish they bought it last year in that chance, and absolutely underquoting is huge. We have a client, literally, Central Coast buying uh, soon at auction. Um, and, you know, they've set their limit 25% above the price guide. Because when you look at back on it, you know, past sales last year, it would still have been a pretty good buy last year at that price. Um, and it's so underquoted. Uh, and so, you know, you can say, and this is, this is the Asians probably got reasons why they, they could, not that I helped him set that price, but that's just sort of, went, sort of gave them some things to do and they, they sort of figured out what they wanted to go to. So, um, yeah, I think absolutely underquoting. Um, yeah, I think there's lots. To, and I think what you're also going to see is listings are going to stay low. I was chatting to an agent um, on Wednesday this week, Eastern Suburbs agent, um, and he was saying there's about a third of new listings that he would expect in February that he usually has. 
been an agent for a long time. Third of the listings he would usually list at this time of year. Yeah. And and I'm like, and it's like, yeah, it's just it's for them. It's tough right now. They are hounding the homes, trying to find people to sell right up. And um, so that's that's what's also supporting the market is there's not yeah. much coming on, and buyers are still building. Um, Absolutely. So watch this space, and and um, all our listeners will get our regular updates along the way. Anyway, <laughs> I think what's important too is interesting is that like you said about the headlines. I mean, CoreLogic came out with it with its monthly data on the first of February, and all the headlines were saying you know prices yeah. are still falling. Yeah, it was interesting on the ABC. They they put up a chart that showed a comparison of the the gains for each capital city yeah. in twenty twenty one versus the the falls in twenty twenty two to put that in context because often. You only see they only talk about the falls. They're not talking about yeah. let's let's actually go back yeah. two years and let's talk about the net position. Um, so that's quite interesting. Even the fact that that's entering into some media commentary, not enough. But you know, I was sitting with my daughter in a cafe the other day, and it was raining outside. And she looked at her iPhone and she said, "Mom, it can't be raining because my weather app says it's not." And I just thought that is the best metaphor for people saying, "Look, prices are falling because the headlines are saying they are." Whereas us on the ground, it's raining. It's raining yeah. and we can see that actually things are different to what is actually being reported. So, and, and, and that's the fact, right? So <laughs> it's, it's another reason why I say if you're going to use a buyer's agent, don't use these fly-in, fly-outers and, and these remote buyer's agents who are not on the ground and don't get the sentiment and can't report back to you actually what's happening on the ground in those areas because they will miss it. They'll be used, relying on the data and they'll be missing actually what's really going on. And not that you should necessarily react to that. You need to put it into context, but you need to be aware of the truth of what's happening. Yeah, Absolutely. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.